If you like to gamble, I tell you I'm your man. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. Hello and welcome to the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. It's lovely to have you back. Thank you for coming. I am your host, Howard H. Smith. You may know me as lead singer with UK thrash band Acid Rain or through my podcast, Talking Bollocks. My name is highlighted in the description of this podcast. That means it's a link. Click on it and it will take you through to all of the interviews, the hundreds that I've done over the years. But here... I am the custodian of the Virtual Motorhead Interview Museum. That's a mouthful. Yes, I am your guide through all things of the world of Motorhead. And what a world it is. Still expanding, still giving back all these years after the band quit. The legend will not die. And that's what it's all about here. It's keeping the legend alive. And... I presume you're subscribed, that's why you're here, but if you haven't subscribed, then wherever you're listening to this, whatever device, whatever platform, there will be an ability for you to subscribe. It could be a bell, it could be a button, it could be a little tick somewhere. Click that and one of these beauties will come into your device every time one's released and you don't have to do a thing other than listen to it. How cool is that? And this week is no different. This week we have Glenn Williams on the show. And Glenn spent quite a few years of his youth and his later life messing around with Motorhead, going to see Motorhead, working with Motorhead, and even one time fixing Lemmy's bass, which is an interesting story in itself. So why not, without further ado, uh, honestly, the language of podcasts is anybody else sick of hearing without further ado? I am. Let's get on with it. Here's Glenn Williams. Glenn, thank you very much for coming on the motorcast. Oh, my pleasure, mate. Thanks very much for inviting me. Uh, yeah, also, my pleasure. Um, uh, so, look, the way I go about this is always the same. I ask everybody the same question up front, um, and that is, when did Motorhead first come into your life? I was always the kid at school that, in his record collection, would have Abba, Shawaddy Waddy, Deep Purple, Uri Heap, the Bee Gees, Neil Diamond. You know, I was always the guy that just didn't care about genres or anything. Yeah. And um, uh, and so when punk came along, I got into punk as well. And a mate of mine came around to my house one day and said, you've got to listen to this. And he he bought the um the Motorhead single, um, and he uh he, he shoved it on the record player, and it just you know two minutes and whatever it is, just absolutely floored me with what it was. Couldn't couldn't understand it. Didn't know what it was, you know. And uh, yeah, just from then on, man, just loved them since then. And that that's a that's that's a brilliant way of describing it. Couldn't understand it, you know. I couldn't, you know. It's, it's, you know, it had the lyrics printed on the back of the seven-inch single, so we could actually follow the lyrics, but we we still didn't really understand it because you know we, you know, that age we didn't understand amphetamines and what it was all about, you know. <laughs> but also, it's like I, I I get the you know we 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 didn't understand it as in it's like well hang on. This isn't this isn't punk, and this isn't yeah. like this isn't that 
heavy metal we've heard. What is it? It's very true. And of course, we knew Lemmy came from Hawkwind. Yeah. You know, so it, it was just, it was mind blowing. It was absolutely, you know, we set and played, I think we played it a dozen times and we just went, what is this? Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I can. I can absolutely. Uh, I can absolutely picture that. Um, yeah. And and so so where did you go from there? How did it grow? You know, is you, presumably you started getting uh, hold of the records, trying to trying to see them live. Yeah, so I saw them live um, the first time, and I can actually. I was actually look this up, and I can tell you, uh, it was the Overkill tour, and. Right. Um, so it would what would that have been? It was uh 70, 79, wasn't it? It was the 8th of April 1979, Messi Montreal. Wow. Uh girls school were on the tour. Right, yeah. And, uh, and now of course I didn't know anything about girls' school, but you know, we went along to see Motorhead and it was a dreadful gig because <laughs> Lenny's amps kept breaking down. Right. And he got really frustrated. He started kicking them and everything. He got really, really angry. Uh, but of course, that made it all the better. Oh yeah, for every for everybody watching, there's nothing better than than <laughs> yeah. seeing something, seeing somebody lose their shit with their gear. <laughs> it was all right. He, he was just frustrated that he couldn't give us a good gig. I know that now, you know. But I ran backstage afterwards. Uh, and you know, because I wanted to meet them, but I also wanted to meet girls' school because I, I thought they were brilliant. I thought girls' school were absolutely brilliant. And uh, got backstage, uh, we met Motorhead. I got their autographs, which I've since lost, unfortunately, and met girls' school as well. And that's kind of where you know, from then I'm one of the guys that started the Barmy Girls' School Army. So, and uh, went to see girls' school a lot. And through that, of course, Lemmy was often there, and Phil and Fast Eddie and. So that's kind of how I got into the 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 Doug Smith circle kind of thing. Right. So you kind of you you kind of fell into the inner circle via girls' school. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So I mean, going back all those years, girls' school. I mean, it, you know, they 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 came from nowhere. Um, Lemmy befriended them, and and I just I, again I remember them being you know everywhere, all over magazines and and, yeah. and touring everywhere, and they just they just seemed to go they just seemed to go hand in hand. So presumably, you were seeing you were seeing girls' school a lot, and you know where you know often that would be with Motorhead. Uh, yeah, I didn't see them a lot on the same bill. But right. It, you know, whenever girls' school were in London, certainly Lenny was always there. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, I was traveling around the country. I'd, you know, I'd leave work in Leicester, born and raised in Leicester, go up to Manchester for the night, see the gig in Manchester that girls' school were doing, and then sleep on the railway station with my mates, and then come back the next morning, go straight to work. So obviously, obviously, Motorhead worked there, but there, there was quite a few gigs. Where they were on the same bill. The, probably the best one we ever saw was at Nottingham Rock City, the rock stage thing. Yeah. Um, which and it doesn't come across in the film, and I wish it did. But me and my mate Ash, who also formed the Barmy Girls School Army, there was only the two of us at the gig, I think. And we were up in the balcony, and the audience tore up the chairs during the Motorhead show. It was right. quite phenomenal. 
there, there was a riot going on in the gig. It was brilliant. <laughs> and and why were people just people just ecstatically happy? Yeah, it was it was just it was just a wild wild gig. Girl school really really tore it up that night. It was being filmed. You know, uh, it was the first time we ever saw Lemmy get into the bomber and the bomber go up. Right. With Lemmy in it, you know, and he was yeah. using his bass like a like a machine gun and everything. And um, the, the lighting guy at the guy was at the time was uh, Colin, um, uh, Chameleon Lights. Oh, Colin, I'm so sorry, I forgot his surname. <laughs> um, but a- anyway, and uh, he always told Lemmy, don't get in the bomber, it's not strong enough. And this was just one night, and they just went. Let me just went. That nah, I'm getting in it, <laughs> and he and he went up in it, and the audience just went ballistic. It was absolutely terrific, but it never got. They never filmed that part, unfortunately, or they it's, never filmed the audience tearing up the chairs. Anyway, well, it sounds like um, it sounds like the crowd really kind of like one upped everybody that night. So hence, Lemmy decided to one up his performances oh, and get yeah. in the bomber. It, it was definitely one of those, you know, motor. I, I think that's probably the best I ever saw Motorhead that night. That they were so good that night. Yeah. Um, it was it was just an amazing gig. It probably remains one of my favourite gigs of all time, and I've seen thousands, literally thousands. You know, so I'm not surprised though, because that, as you say, that is that's a that's a real that's a real rarity. And to say it was the best time you ever saw them is, is is a is quite a statement because you you saw them and worked with them a number of times. Yeah, um, I saw them as as the 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 Eddie and Phil three piece. I probably saw them let's say right. fifteen times. I, I I don't want to kind of exaggerate or anything, but certainly fifteen times I would have seen them. And and every time they were great, but the, yeah, that that Nottingham gig was kind of special. You kind of like you said fell into the inner circle via via girls' school. So where where did that lead you? It, it was actually one of Motorhead's road crew, a guy called Mark Napier. Uh, he was he was the third man on the PA on the ah uh, I think it was the Bomber tour. And uh, I became friendly with him at a couple of the shows. Yeah. And um, I I used to get to the gigs early and uh, I'd be helping out. I'd ask anybody if they wanted any help because I liked setting up equipment and stuff. And right. Mark put me under his wing a little bit and he started showing me how to rig a PA and patch leads and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I can't remember if it was the Bomber Tour but anyway, it was Martin Napier, and he, he eventually said, you know, if you ever want a job as a roadie, let me know. And um, I phoned him up one day, and I said, yeah, all right, I'm in. What do I do? So he went and had a word with um, Audio Lease. And um, Steve Sutherland, you know, told me to come down. Yeah. And uh, he, he said he'd try me out. And he we did a festival, the Future Armour Festival, in Leeds. Oh yeah. I yeah, know I, I know them I know the Future Armor Festivals very well. I was I was supposed to play the well I did play the 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 last ever one. Oh okay. Yeah okay. yeah with um 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 
John. Oh, it'll come to me, mate. Don't you worry. John Keenan. John Keenan. Okay. Now, is that okay. a name yeah. you remember from the past? Yeah, <laughs> a name I'd forgotten from the past, to be honest. I know, I know. Well, strangely <laughs> enough, sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent. Apologies, Motorhead fans. But um, John, I've, I've actually got John Keenan coming on to my uh, my my own podcast called Talking Bollocks. So I'll send oh, you a, I'll send you a link when it comes out because um, yeah, I caught up with him and spent like spent spent an hour going over the old days, the eighties, the Duchess of York, the Future Armors, and all of that. Right. Yeah. Well, this I think this, this Future Armor one was, I can't remember if it was 80 or 81. Yeah. Uh, I think it would have been 81. No, sorry, what am I talking about? That was my first gig with them. Right. It put me on Port Vale. Ah, well, the legendary Port Vale. We've, we've, we've yeah, heard many a tale one. of this gig. He gave me a trial at Port Vale. I was 22nd man on the PA crew. Now that makes it sound like you tried out for the football team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a trial at Port Vale. <laughs> uh, for yeah, non-UK um, listeners, that that is a football team. <laughs> um, it, it, it wasn't so much a trial, actually. He said, come down, you, I'll give you a pass. You can help out and learn. And then I think the trial was Leeds. Maybe that was right. Rather. Well, it, it's sounding it's sounding a lot like some some uh, some free labour and a and a free gig for you. So it, it works well, both it was, ways. And, and you know what a free gig. Yeah. You know, uh, it, I mean, it was hard work, but I did the hard work, and you know, Steve said, "Yeah, all right, you're in. Come down." So, but um, I mean, the Port Vale Festival. Um. You know, at the time, you didn't really think much about it, but it's gone down in folklore now. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was great. It was the loudest and biggest PA ever assembled in the UK. Um, they yep. did get the Guinness Book of World Records down there to verify it, I believe. You have to ask Steve about that one, but I'm pretty sure they did. And didn't um, didn't uh, didn't a didn't the local council nearby or didn't Motorhead pay for people to be bussed out of the town or something like that? It was like it was just <laughs> it was just so know, loud and it's so loud people could hear in villages miles away and all sorts. Oh well, that, that's certainly true. I um, lunchtime on the day the sound check, um, me and a couple of the guys, Mark Napier again was there. We went down the pub and um, the uh, stage manager promoter came in, who was, his name was uh, Mike Henley. And uh, he sat down and he says, you're not going to believe this. He says, we've just had a complaint from a woman in a village a mile away. Wow. And, uh, yeah, about the noise. You know? Badge of honour right all, there. All they were doing was sound checking the kick drum. So, <laughs> Oh, that's so, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> it was loud. Oh, that is, that's, I mean, oh dear. I, I, I mean, I've had people on here who worked on it, who who were in the audience and, and, and everybody says that it was just, you know, uncomfortably loud. It was bordering on it. Yeah, I must admit. I think Dill engineered, I think Dill mixed the sound for that one, if I remember right. He really whacked up the volume. He really did. But it was it was great. It was great. If that was your trial, and then, like you say, you know, future armor, etc. How you know how many how many sort of shows did you end up doing with them? And well, I how didn't stay for? audio lease very long permanently because I met up with Rock Goddess in February the next year, and 
I decided I wanted to do backline more. So I started working with Rock Goddess a lot, but occasionally Steve would bring me in as a kind of guy to help out on tours or, put, or putting rigs together in the workhouse. So if Rock Goddess were not doing gigs, say, for two weeks, I'd go over and do a few days at Audio Lease. Right. Um, so I, I remember we put together the Iron Fist rig in the, in the warehouse. Uh, Steve Flood was there. And he, Steve, Steve was a great guy as well. He helped me an awful lot. And uh, we put all the rig together. There's, a, there's a, maybe five or six of us on the PA crew. We put it all together and we fired it all up and it sounded great. And Steve turned to me afterwards and he said, only one thing left to do now. I said, yeah, what's that? He said, paint it. <laughs> and he just pointed at these huge pots of black paint oh, and walked God. away. But I, I painted the entire rig on my own. Right, so that that now that's that is a, a claim to fame, and I and, and I stenciled it Motorhead audio lease as well. I think it's the only time we ever stenciled it Motorhead audio lease. Other times it was audio lease or Motorhead. But... Wow, that's that's amazing. So that and that was the rig they used for that tour. That's the one where they had the stage coming down at the start, right? Um, I think so, but no, that that does sound about right. So I didn't go on that tour, but when they did the Hammersmith shows, I think they did four nights at the Hammersmith or something. And we um, uh, then Steve said to me, come along, I need an extra person to just do the Hammersmith show. So I went along and helped out with that. I mean, it was only changing over mics and stuff at the sound check, the um, changeovers and everything. But yeah, I was there for those four nights. On the but also bearing in mind that, you know, ultimately you're a you know you're a huge motorhead fan you're getting to work on their shows yeah. you're getting up close and personal speaking oh, yeah. of which speaking of which did 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 you manage to ever get up up close and personal with the guys themselves oh yeah of course yeah many times um i mean lemmy was always you know good to talk to um uh i mean you know i used to go to the samaritz and watch him play the fruit machine have a natter within there Whenever he was, at, he was a big fan of Rock Goddess as well. He liked Rock Goddess. We Rock Goddess ended up doing the Fastway tour around the UK. We supported Fast Eddie on that one, which I think was eighty three or eighty four. Sorry, I should have looked all these up for you. It's all um, right. It's any anybody listening uh, who who you know knows of these events knows the dates. Yeah, yeah. and I remember being down the Marquee one night. Um, uh, it had just been reported that Phil had fallen over and had broken his neck. Oh, right. And, and motorcycle Irene was down there, and I asked him, I asked her how she was, how he was, and he said, "Yeah, he's okay. Don't worry." And about ten minutes later, he came bouncing in the door. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I was, I was always, you know, they were always up for a chat and a natter. Ten, Lemmy was a big Titanic buff, and and I'm a big Titanic nut as well. So we talked quite a bit about that. Right. Um, I mean, I know, you know, everybody knows him for his World War II stuff, but you get him talking on the Titanic, and he, he knew stuff only people really interested in Titanic, like myself, would know. Yeah. And this is years and years before James Cameron's film, of course. 
obviously. Well, he's but it also he was he was a history buff, wasn't he? As as yes, as, he as was, this yeah. kind of describes, it's not. Yes, he was. You know, he had a special um, a special attraction to nineteen forties German culture. But but yeah, you know the the Titanic and and all all different parts of history. You know, I've often had people on who'd say like, you know, you could bring up any kind of part of history or any major you know tyrant or conflict or anything like that, and Lemmy would just start chiming in with a load of stuff you ne you never knew about it. I have no doubt that's true. I never went much past Titanic with him, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I I have no doubt that that's true. Clearly, uh, it was a big thing. He was a big reader, um, as uh, uh, as we all know. Um, but anyway, yeah. you, so you did the um, uh, you you did the the Iron Fist dates. You did those dates at Hammersmith, which must have been absolutely brilliant. Um, well, let me tell you a story about that, if you don't mind. Oh, I don't at all. That's why you're here. Go for it. <laughs> okay, because I I love telling this story. I've told it a few times, but I do like telling this story. So. So I was part of the PA crew for that on those. Uh, it was four nights at Hammersmith. They're all sold out and everything. And, uh, of course, there was no loadout after the shows. So oh, as soon yeah. as the show's finished, I grabbed all the mics off the stage. We put them in a case, me and Mark Napier again. God bless Mark. Um, and we shoved them in a case. We got them locked away. And the, there was, uh, do you ever go to the backstage bar at the Hammersmith? Uh, no, unfortunately. Um, I mean, okay. I have, I have, I have been to it um, since, but you know, not around that era. Right. Okay. So anyway, we we just, I think it finished. The show finished, you know, like ten thirty or something, and um, we, you know, of course, once we'd finished, it was like, right, quick, off to the bar. We can we can get a we can get a pint in. And me and Mark went up to the bar. And we got, it, it was a very small place. And we opened the door. And as we opened it, there, there was about 30 Hells Angels in there causing a riot. And there was one old guy and one old lady behind the bar just handing out pints, not even taking money. <laughs> they were just handing out pints. Yeah. Because these Hells Angels were just, you know, they were raucous to say the least. Not aggressive or anything, but. It's they're having, they're having a good time, as only Hell's Angels know yeah, how to exactly do. Sort of yeah, and, and I kind of looked at Mark, and Mark said to me, "Let's go to the pub round the corner." I said, "Yeah, good idea." And, and as we kind of went to leave, with this, there was this kind of "Excuse me, fellas," and Lemmy just kind of walked through us into the bar, and he walked up to the lead Hell's Angel, and he said, "Let's keep it down a bit. We've got mums and dads coming in, right?" And this. You know, this angel looked at Lem and he, and he looked around to all these guys. He went, shh. <laughs> right. And there was a few, <clears throat> yeah, sorry, Lemmy. Yeah, sorry, Lem. You know, all these guys. <laughs> and from then, and then Lemmy looked over at me and Mark and just signaled for us to come in. And all was quiet. Really? I mean, respect. Yeah. Too small a word. It's incredible. Do you know what? That, 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 that almost sounds, sounds like some sort of, like Monty Python sketch from back in the day, yeah. doesn't it? You know, it's like, <laughs> oi, we go, oi, keep it down. Oh, sorry, Lem. Sorry, Lem. Yeah, sorry, Lem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like they've been put in their place, you know, slapped on the wrist. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. brilliant. But again, you know, the, the the power of the man, you know, the charisma and 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 
just just the way that's done, I can just see him sauntering up without a care in the world to yeah. the to the to, to the head of the angels, and not with you know not with any oh you know I'm the big I am or what the hell's going on here or anything else. Just just you know, one leader of men to another. Let's let's just keep it down. That's exactly what it was, you know, and it, it was it was it was quite a moment. I mean, I, I can still. Yeah. He was wearing his Ace of Spades jacket, you know, denim jacket and everything. I can still see it. Yeah, that's honestly that is a that's that's a really that's a really beautiful mental image as well. It's just like I because I know the bar of, of which you speak, and you know, there's not it's not <laughs> yeah. a great deal of room. Um, <laughs> I mean, if if there's one person in there that you're not particularly keen on, um, it's small enough for you to want to leave. But that's <laughs> that yeah, that, that's amazing. That really is. That yeah. really is. Um, and so, how did you end up? Because I know you you ended up you ended up working on Lemmy's bass or something, didn't you? I did. Um, uh, so I ended up eventually as girls' schools guitar tech, right? Uh, in eighty eighty five, I think it was. Blue to Pilt Tour eighty five, and um, and the next the following year, early in the year, we were at rehearsals. No, Motorhead were rehearsing to and writing for Orgasmatron uh, at Reed and rehearsal rooms. Yeah. And um, they finished and we were going to take over straight away with girls' school. But yeah, and I went up there, me and Steve Pritchard, who was Denise's drum tech, we went up there. Uh, it was quite late because Motorhead were loading out and we were loading in straight away into the rehearsal room. Um, we got there, we gave Motorhead's guys a hand loading their truck to get it out. And Doug Smith turned up with Lemmy. And uh, we we were just sitting around, you know, talking about this gig and that gig or what's happening through the year and everything. Yeah, uh, I can tell you the date, actually. It was March the 6th. Oh, wow. I have diaries. That's amazing. Um, I actually looked that one up. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and and Lemmy said to me, "You're a guitar tech." I said, "Yeah." He says, "Can you actually do electronics on guitars?" I said, "Yeah, of course." So he says, "Will you fix my bass?" It, it, you fix me bass. It's fucked, you know. <laughs> yeah, all right. And, and it was the um, the out to lunch one. All right. Yeah. I said, what's wrong with it? He's just saying, it's, it's not working. Said, All right. So um, the next day, uh, I I opened it up, and, and the inside, the, the, it was shot. The wiring was... I, I, I can't even describe how bad it was. Whoever had... I don't know if it had just rotted or something had happened, you know, or some guy had tried to do something, and it just wasn't working. It had a cannon plug on it and a jack socket. I think it was Steve Flood who put the jack the cannon plug on it because Lenny kept pulling the lead out. And I checked at everything and there was a short in the jack socket. So okay, fine. But ran down the shop, got a new jack socket, plugged that in. And it worked, but it sounded a bit iffy. Yeah, I just you know, something, and I thought, but well, must be all the pots and the wiring. It was so gungy and horrible. So, so I just unscrewed the pots from the front and lifted the whole mechanism out, 
unsoldered from the new Jack Logan the cannon. Bought new pots, new wire, put it all back together and uh, wired it up and it, you are great. That sounds better. Fantastic. So I took it down to the studio, gave it to Lenny, you know, big smile on my face. Hey, fix your bass. <laughs> he pulled it away and he went, nah, don't like it. I said, well, I, you know, I, I had to put new pots in it. No, no, you got to put the old pots back in there. I said, oh, yeah, but Lenny, they're not very good. He said, nah, put them back. So, I mean, fortunately, like I said, I just lifted out the whole electronics as one. Yeah. Well, I went back down to where I was working. The, the, they had a little workshop there. And um, just took all the new stuff out, put the old pots back in, which sounded awful. You know, gave it more. I thought it sounded awful. Gave it back to Lemon. And uh, he bloody went wrong, wrong, wrong. And he went, yeah, fucking great. <laughs> but, you know, it, he just liked it because it sounded terrible. Well, to me, it sounded terrible. To him, it was Lemmy, you know, that was what yeah. he wanted. Do you know what? I just realised what was going on there. What you oh. gave him, what you gave him and, and what he heard was clean. And yes, what you put exactly back what in right. and what he wanted was dirty. Yeah. yeah. But literally, like, there's clean sound and dirty sound, as we both know. But this is literally, <laughs> like, you know, no, clean pots, dirty pots. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. I mean, the, the the pots were when you actually turn the pots. You, you know, if you if you turn a pot and it's dirty, you can hear sort of thing. For those listening who don't know what a pot is, do you just want to oh, yes. kind of expand on it? Okay, yeah, it's the um, it's the the knobs on the front of a on the front of a guitar which operate the tone and the volume inside at the back of that. It's actually called a pot. Its nickname is a pot. It's actually a potentiometer which regulates how much electricity goes through. So as you turn it, um, you, you turn it fully off and no electricity goes through, so you get no volume. And as you turn it to full, it goes to full volume. Or And the same with tone. You turn it right off and it goes bassy. And then you turn it right up and it goes more trebly. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's, a, that's a perfect description. And... Yeah. And and really, uh, it, it kind of adds even more, even more kind of context to the story because, as you say, like they they are you know they're, they the these are knobs that are crucial to you know the bass and how it's going to sound. And if they're dirty and all ganked up, then you've got a problem. Unless, of course, you're Lemmy. That's how you like it. Yeah. Oh, actually, thanks. You just reminded me of something. Actually, I took it back, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, that's better." I like that one. He says, "But." The knobs are no good because oh. I had actually found the original um, Rickenbacker knobs in the case. Right. And I thought, well, I'll put those back on because it just looked better. Yeah. But he he said no, no, I want I want the the other knobs back on. So I okay, I changed those over, and he actually said it sounded better with the other knobs. And I thought, <laughs> wow, I'm not sure about that, Lemmy. <laughs> I just let that one go. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. But I mean, it, this is bizarre. You know, you, you take it, right, the bass doesn't work. You take it away to fix it and you do what any anybody would want you to do. 
We, you know, <laughs> guitarist, bass player, whatever. But, but you know, you thoroughly go through, you fix the problem, but you also say, right, you know, it's like 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 a like a, a mechanic. You know, you say, right, look, yeah. you brought it to me with this problem. I, and I fixed that problem. But whilst trying to find the problem, I found all sorts of other stuff that is going to be a problem. It is a problem now and you don't know it or yeah. it's going to be a problem further down the line. So what I've done yeah. is I've fixed all of that for you. You know, I've cleaned <laughs> it. I've greased it. It's lovely. And he's, he's you've given it back. And he's literally gone. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've taken away the rattle from the engine. I don't like it now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've I've greased all the pipes. No, 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 let them rust. <laughs> that's that's yeah, pretty... He wasn't angry at all. He was just yeah. saying, no, it's not what I wanted, you know. So I, I get what it is, though, as well. It's like it's that it's that guy who, guy who takes his car to the mechanic. He's got a problem with the exhaust. You fix the exhaust and go, but there's all these other problems. He goes, yeah, but I asked mm. you to fix the exhaust. Is the exhaust fixed? Yes. Right. Well, I'm taking my car then. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, okay, fair. That's brilliant. You found the problem, fixed it, thought you were doing the right thing with everything else, only mm. to find that apparently you weren't. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, so lemmy. That's brilliant. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, all of those guys were really good. I mean, Phil and uh, Wurzel were always good as well. Um, I, I, in fact, I saw them when they did the first um, thing as a four-piece on ECT. I was at the uh, the studio that night. Ah, ECT, I remember that. Yeah, because that's the first time the world had seen the new motor. And, of course, Lemmy was wearing his white jacket. Yeah, God, I remember that now. It's your, t- it's your turn to remind me of things now. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. That, well, that, was a, well, that was a really big deal. It was Channel 4. It was early evening. It was like sort of six o'clock or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Six, five to six or six to seven. I can't remember. Yeah. But Rock Goddess were on that. So I went down to check out how it all operated and worked. So I was prepared for it. And Motred were on the first one. And Girl School is the five piece were on the second one. Yeah. There was, there was one with Warrior on. There was one with Venom on. Yeah, um, oh, mad. Yeah, uh, it's, it's funny you should say Venom. I was just talking to Jeff Dunn, who's Mantis today. Oh, I've no, I've known Jeff for years. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, lovely fella. Oh, absolutely top guy, top man. I've known him for over thirty years. Every time I see him, um, what's your name again? <laughs> So after that, after working on, uh, and that was around the sort of orgasmatron time. Yeah. Um, did your paths cross again, or did you kind of just, you know, end up going your separate ways? Uh, no, we we crossed on several occasions. Um, uh, I didn't work for them in any capacity after that. Was the, it always just like rocking along to gigs and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, look, the the market. I was, you know, in the in the eighties particularly 83, 4, 5, 6, 7. I mean, I was probably at the marquee three times a week. And, you right. Know, you were always bumping into Lemmy. Well, the marquee yeah. followed by the Sam Ritz and, well, and, and that whole Sam sort of culture. I, I got to that... I got to that later, you know. I, mm-hmm. I I didn't I didn't move to London till sort of early 20s, which is kind of early 90s. I missed those years, but, I, I mean... You know the legend of the Sam Moritz and 
you know, let me yeah. let me play in the um play in the fruit machines there. It's like a friend of mine always said, if you want to have a chat to Lemmy, go into the go into San Moritz and start playing the fruit machine. And yeah. when when Lee, when Lemmy comes in, he will come over and have a chat with you. Definitely. Yeah. Along uh, the lines of along the lines of mugs game. You shouldn't be playing yeah. that. <laughs> of course, it used to take 10 pence coins, that machine. Yeah. And, you know, Lemmy would always come down with, you know, 20 quid's worth of 10 pence coins. And he'd just sit there feeding it, you know. Um, there was one night he dropped the 100 quid um, jackpot, which was a big celebration. I wasn't there for that. Somebody else was there and they told me about it. Um, but Sweetie, the guy who owned and ran the San Moritz, uh, he ended up having a hundred pounds worth of 10 pence coins stacked up along the back of the bar. You know, so anytime that Lemmy came in, he always has changed for Lemmy to feed the fruit. Machine. Brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. And, and, and stacked up behind the bar. And and you know what? You mentioned the celebration when he got the hundred pound jackpot and that you weren't yeah. there. You weren't there. I wasn't there, but I can guarantee that it was everybody but Lemmy celebrating. Because oh, yeah. it was, it, he didn't give a shit about money. No, he didn't. Not at all. You know, providing he had enough for his uh, his vodka and oranges, it was back then. Yeah, um, I mean, he was. It, it was it, it, the challenge of beating the machine is what he was there for. Yes, that's exactly what he was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not the jackpot, although that does. You know, that is nice occasionally. <laughs> yeah, he's. I, I don't know when he changed over to. To Jack Daniels, but I mean, certainly back then it was always Smirnoff vodka he was drinking. Yeah, yeah, I I, I remember that. And and, and the, the weird thing is, it's like this is now a thing. Do you know what I mean? There will be people listening to this going, "Oh, you know, I I can tell you, I can tell you when he when he you know, when he when he made the switch <laughs> from from vodka to Jack Daniels because, like, you know, Levy's that kind of guy that people people will have that information. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, Denise from girls' school was always drinking Jack Daniels. She's the one that got me into it, uh, although I don't drink it much anymore. But I think it was Lemmy that got her into it. So, I again, I don't know when that happened. Yeah, yeah I, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. it's it's just one of those things, isn't it? I'm, I'm sure somebody I'm sure somebody will get in touch and let us know. They were amazing times. They genuinely were. Um, they really were. They, you know, I look back on them with a lot of fondness. <clears throat> you know, there's people over here. You know, for the listeners, I'm in Japan. There's people over here. You know that. You know, whenever I go out, they always want to come up and talk about those times. Yeah, and they were good. You know, they were they were fun. They were, you know, too much. <laughs> the thing is all these years later all these years later and there you are halfway around the world uh inverted commas dining out on all of this stuff that happened all those years ago and again it's ju it's just the it's the never-ending um enduring appeal of motorhead it is definitely um you know there will never be another band like them. Yeah. You know, I remember reading a story once, and you might be able to uh, let me know more about this, but apparently Lemmy was in a bar somewhere 
in America with James Hetfield, I think it was, one of the guys from Metallica. And Joni Mitchell walked in. And Joni, he went, Lenny went up to Joni Mitchell and she said, what chords are you playing in that song of yours? And he named the song. I could never work them out. And Joni Mitchell went, oh, it's da-da-da-da. And she told him the chords. <laughs> that's brilliant. Joni Mitchell, you know. That's that's brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant. I love I, I love the idea of that. Like, right? There's Lemmy, James Hetfield, and Joni Mitchell in a bar. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it just and sounds like a joke. Joni Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's you know, awesome. um, and that's another thing about Lemmy as well. I mean, you know, he loved all the early rock and roll, all the Little Richard and Gene Vincent, and all that kind of stuff, as you know. Yeah. Um, but he he genuinely he's a he was a lot like me in his taste in music. He could he could listen to ABBA as well. Yes. You know, he he really had no bias. Well, I mean, there's some genres he hated, I'm sure. Or some, you know, some musicians he just thought, but he would never, or very rarely, I can't and I can't think of a single instance off the top of my head. I don't think he'd ever put anybody down for doing what they do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. Um, he, he was all, you know, all for one and one for all where, you know, if you're a musician, we're, we're, we're all in this together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the last time I saw Fast Eddie was, um, uh, over here, at the, uh, I think it was the Loud Park Festival. I think it's 2006, 2007, yeah. somewhere around there. And Fastway were playing. And I was there with another band. I think I was there with Obituary. It might have been Obituary. I, I can't remember which one, but I was there with another band. And uh, I saw Eddie backstage in the bar. And he didn't remember me because, I mean, this is, you know, donkey's years later. Yeah, um, but I kind of reintroduced myself, and he was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." He said, oh, "I'm sorry, I don't remember you, but you know those days." Yes, uh, and I said, "Yeah, it's all right." I know. And I mean, he didn't remember those days himself, so he's not going to remember me. <laughs> he's probably grateful to have somebody around to remind him of what he did. Yeah, but he he was saying to me, you know, I and I said to him, "Do you, do you want a drink?" He said, "No, I haven't had a drink for 19 years." You know, he wow. says. I've, you know, so uh, um, but that was the last time I saw him. Uh, well, I think and the next after Kelly's funeral, because I I couldn't get back from Japan for Kelly's funeral. Um, I'd come back just before she died to see her in when she was in hospital, uh, but I couldn't make the funeral. And, and which was Kelly was that? I'm just trying to think. Uh, Kelly Johnson from Girl School. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I, I thanked him for going to the funeral. And he said, oh, of course, you know, she was a great guitarist. Yeah. Uh, well, this, this of course, leads us up to when, do you remember the last time you saw Motorhead? Yeah. Fuji Rock, the year Lenny died. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so you came, you came life. almost full circle with him. I did, yeah. Um, but I, it's... Uh, it's a little bit sad and I, I don't feel bad about it, but then sometimes I do. Uh, I went up to, I was at Fuji Rock with a band and Motorhead were playing. I was at the hotel 
and I saw Lemmy and I looked at him. He, he didn't see me and I looked at him and I thought, that guy's got cancer. I, I, I just knew it. Yeah. Because you know, I've been around a few that, that have had it and I just knew it. Yeah. And um, uh, and then they played the set and it was good. You know, it was Motorhead, it was Lemmy, but it, it was hard for him. Very hard for him. I could see it. Yeah. He was struggling. And then uh, later on, I was back at the hotel and I saw him and I I just couldn't go up and say anything. I just yeah. didn't feel, you know. You didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. He said, obviously, at that time, because he always, you know, it was whether he knew or not he had it then, I don't know. If he did know, he was obviously not telling anybody or he'd been that, he told everybody to keep it quiet. But I, I just didn't feel like going up and saying anything. And I didn't know what to yeah. say. You couldn't, you couldn't just go up to him and pretend like everything was okay and talk about no. the old days. No, I couldn't. Yeah, um, I get that. Yeah, I thought, well, you know, I, so I didn't. You know, unfortunately, I don't think there's anybody who's got a last time they saw, you know, Motorhead or last time they saw Lemmy, uh, uh, unless it was, you know, years ago. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's it doesn't end well. We you know we know that. Um, yeah. Having having said that, you know. He never compromised his life, his lifestyle, who he was, his beliefs, his music. He lived life yeah. his own way. And he properly lived a rock and roll lifestyle into his 70s, which is frankly just, you know, unheard of these days. So it, it whilst it's sad we don't have him around anymore, he, you know, he, he, he went out with his boots on. He did. Well, I mean, Jim Morrison said it, didn't he? He said, nobody here gets out alive, you know, and yeah. You know, all you can do in life is go through and uh, as best as you possibly can. And as you say, Lenny was uncompromising in his entire life. You know, yeah. he, he just said, "This is the life I'm going to lead." You know, let's face it; it's a it, not only is it a life that you know that he led, but there, there is there is millions across the globe who'd give their right arm to 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 live how Lemmy lived for just six months, you know, yes, <laughs> being a band, tour the world and all the rest of it. Um, but, but having said that, if, if they live like Lemmy for six hours, they'd probably die. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a somewhat <laughs> cautionary tale. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Oh, dear. I, I, I'm working for a promoter over here, and we brought out Anvil and um, uh, Oliver Dawson Saxon a couple of years ago. And they were telling me stories about when they were on the road with with Levy. Steve Dawson's got a classic. It was Bomator, I think they supported um, Motorhead. And they say that they had to meet at um, uh, Great Western Road, the tour bus. And the tour bus pulled up when Motorhead and Anna arrived, but they weren't allowed on the tour bus until Motorhead arrived. So, so Motorhead eventually turned up, you know, Lemmy gets on, Fast Eddie, Bill and everything, and they all sit down. And they they start off, right, you know, it's the first time they've met them. They start off going off to the first gig. And then he opens this little case and he takes out, you know, some dope or whatever, a spliff, and he rolls a spliff and hands it to Steve Dawson. Steve Dawson has never had more than a cup of tea in his life up to this point. You know. Yeah. And, you know, so Graham's looking at him and Steve's looking at Graham and Graham's nodding, you know, you should... Steve has a token, like, <laughs> a coffee, he does something, everything. 
right? And then um, let me, you know, wax out his favourite line. So, and then poor Steve goes and has another one. And he, and he said, we were not half an hour into the tour and I was puking in the toilet on the tour bus. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Right. Well, welcome to being on tour with Motorhead. Yeah. You know, I mean, back in those days, it was... It was manic. I mean, yeah. all of those guys on the crew, I admired all those guys on the crew so much. It was Steve Flood, uh, Ian Dobby, who was nicknamed Eagle. Um, uh, Dill did the sound and everything. Goom, of course. I don't know if you've talked to Goom, you should talk to him. Um, but all of those guys, you know, yeah. they they were the, the toughest, hardest crew i've ever worked with you yeah. know they were phenomenal in what they did and they and, they kept up with lenny and, and that's why that's why they got a song written music. about them they did yeah we are the road crew of course yeah and yeah. and and it, it completely fits because well let me, let me always had a huge amount of respect for 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 his crew and for any you know for, for if you were once you were in the inner sanctum you were in and you were you were yeah. family yeah, very true, and uh, you know, even even the odd little bits I did for them, he never forgot it. Yeah, thanks for coming on and 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 telling us about the um those bits you did and 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 your experiences. Um, it's it's been an absolute blast. Thank you so much, Glenn. Oh no, it's like, it's nice to reminisce, you know, because I don't don't get the chance to, very often for somebody to just say things and I sit there and go, oh yeah, wait a minute, there's another thing. Yeah, so I know, uh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. When you're around people from a certain era on a certain topic, there's yeah. a whole load of stuff that opens up that normally wouldn't get discussed. Very true. Yeah. 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 Um, I know the feeling. Well, again, you know, thank you very much for inviting me on. It's uh, I've oh, had not a blast at all. Well. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Okay. Take care, Howard. Speak to you soon. Speak to you soon, mate. And yes, go on then. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did recording it. I really enjoyed that, as I'm sure you could tell. Great story about fixing Lemmy's bass and stuff. It's just, I'd never tire of hearing these stories and presumably neither do you guys because that's why you're here. And it is really appreciated. The amount of support from the community of fans is just something else. It really is. You lot. You're a lovely bunch, and don't let anybody ever tell you any different. Um, so that's it for another episode of the Motorcast. Many more to come. Don't you worry about that. Oh, don't you worry about that. I'll see you next time on the next episode of the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. I don't say agreed. The only gun I need is the Ace of Spades. The Ace of Spades.